0: When we came back to Ireland, we went and saw a solicitor. We moved the kids back here in 2016. We went to see a solicitor and we're like, look, this is what we want to do. And we thought we were being very proactive. We're being on top of everything. We're both sex workers. We want to put money in and open a beautiful dungeon and see Irish clients. We had reached out to other um, workers here like, hey, can we rent your dungeon? And We didn't really get a response back. So we're like, well, okay, fine. And we met with the solicitor and she said, no, you're all good to go. It's actually completely legal. You're good to go. So in the time that we left and then came back, they introduced the Swedish model. Our facility was raided by the police. They were looking for, uh, trafficked individuals of which we had zero and, um, they took a lot of pictures of dildos and a lot of pictures of our shoes for evidence, and definitely not for their own personal use when they got home. So, my wife had to go down to the police station and show her papers and show that she's here legally, which we did. But before we went down there with her papers, we were kind of cornered by this cop who was uh, is intimidating. Like I'm a trans person from Tallahassee, so I don't like. My definition of what's intimidating might be a little different than other people's. But uh, he was
1: trying his best, though. That's Adeline Berry. She swore back in 2016 that she would flee Trump's America if he won the election. Now, as you might know, a lot of people said that at the time. But Addie, Well, when Addie said she'd leave, she meant it. She said she could feel the political backlash that was brewing against the Liberal gains made over the last eight years. So for her and her own family's safety. She knew she had to get out. And I wouldn't blame her. She is a trans immigrant sex worker. And so she left her life in Texas and came home. And I don't know if that's necessarily what she'd call it. She spent over half her life in America. And she was leaving a lot behind. But also, Ireland is a very different place now. Maybe there was a lot to come back to. So Adeline Berry, along with her wife Leah came back to Ireland and started all over again. I remember one of the first things Addie said to me when we met was how when she was younger, she would always hear people saying how Ireland is the land of 100,000 welcomes. And she always thought, but who for though? And that really stuck with me. Oh yeah, so, the raid. Leah was there with a client when it happened. And I just want to preface this by saying, Leah was working alone. The guardy didn't come with a warrant. And they just sent the client on his way.
2: Okay. Let me go back. Okay, I was in the middle of a session. And someone beat really hard on the doors. It wasn't necessarily all that unusual. Because, it's like I said, there had been a lot of harassment. At first I ignored it. And then there was another beating on
0: the door. My wife had to basically end the session and send the guy home, and we lost out on that money.
2: He left, and as I was closing the door, a hand blocked the door and wouldn't let me close it. There was four people. They came in and started, you know, asking me who I was and if there was anybody else there, if there was any other people there. They were, like, looking in the kitchen and the bathroom. They were looking in the uh, closets and sort of, like, basically everywhere. So the one that introduces himself as the investigator starts asking me questions about my my work status and ge- asking for my ID of any kind. I didn't keep any of the papers there because I don't keep, like, IDs and stuff like that in my dungeon. It's not safe for me to do that, so... I was like, well, I can bring it, I can bring it to you, but I don't have it here. And while he's doing that, there's another police officer or another person there taking photographs. So the decision is made that I'm going to meet up with him later. And then as they're leaving, the girl was basically kind of saying that I need to really watch myself and that I'm in a really dangerous situation. And I don't really know what that meant. Like, I don't know if she meant because of my neighbors or...
1: What did your good feeling tell you?
2: At the time, I thought she meant um, being a sex worker. But now that I think about it, I think she may have meant maybe the background of what was happening with the neighbors and, and everything else. I think that's what she may have meant, but she wasn't... I don't even know who she, what her name was. You know, she didn't give me any information about who she was.
0: We kept going down there and experiencing intimidation and kind of threats and just sniggering to themselves and just a lot of... It's
1: kind of not a great situation. I approached Daddy in October last year as I was peripherally aware of her sex worker rights advocacy. And before the coronavirus brought the country to a standstill, there was due to be a review of the current legislation in March. I wanted to learn what challenges sex workers were facing in Ireland, but as I got to know Addy a little better, I was drawn towards her personal journey that brought her from Dublin to America and back again, and her sense of difference, which has repeatedly positioned her on an edge, in a recurring pursuit of a centre.
0: Uh, well, for a a long time, I didn't actually see the things that I did earlier on as sex work. Uh, We weren't using the phrase sex work. It was just literally me trying to improve a bad situation. But I look back and, you know, sleeping with people for shelter or money or food or just uh, to avoid coming home.
1: we're in Addie's apartment on a busy street above a pub just outside the city centre. Her living room is small but cozy, and hanging on the walls behind me are framed intersex medical drawings of surgical tools and people with ambiguous genitalia.
0: I was a horrible disappointment to my parents who were expecting uh, some, and uh, not me anyway. Um, my mother would always say, I was an abomination and she would not live in a den of iniquity. It was just always that. I just basically, all my memories are of her acting like I made her skin
1: crawl. Um, See, Addie's mother took a drug that was prescribed to thousands of Irish women between 1940 and 1975 called diethylstilbestrol. DES, as it's better known as, is a strong synthetic estrogen that was widely used as pregnancy support for women with a history of recurrent miscarriage. It's been linked to a variety of birth defects in children of women who had taken the drug, such as rare forms of cancer and intersex conditions. Despite a United States FDA ban in 1971, it continued to be prescribed in Ireland until the late 1970s. Medical records have not been retained and so left behind is this hidden legacy of victims who were known as DES sons and daughters.
0: Uh, And then also too, even though they were very bitterly disappointed about basically everything about me, they would also kind of tell the story about how because they were guaranteed a daughter, probably because my mother was on DES, that they were going to name me after my dad's sister who died tragically in the 20s. And they'd always tell the story about how I was born on her birthday. So when I was a kid, I thought that maybe uh, I was possessed by that ghost of my dead aunt. And I was like, that's why I'm always getting in trouble. A ghost, which, you know, that's made as much sense as anything else at the time, I suppose.
1: The feeling of being possessed by a that doesn't share any parallels with the feeling of being a woman.
0: I, well, it, because I was told that I'm a boy, act like a boy, be a boy, I just thought that maybe the way that I was, the, the way I was, and the reason I liked the things I liked was I was possessed by a ghost. It was me and her, and there? <laughs> years later, I'm like, oh, I'm just intersex. That's not nearly as exciting as being a ghost. I mean, still.
1: My experience as a 24-year-old gay man is very different to Addie's but I can sort of relate to her on some level because queer people don't grow up as ourselves we grow up playing a version of ourselves that sacrifices authenticity to minimise humiliation and prejudice the massive task of our adult lives is to unpick which parts of ourselves are truly us and which parts we've created to protect us so yeah
0: so it was always that way and uh, my father was very ashamed it was Tala it was a tough neighbourhood and like a lot of working class Dublin homes, um, the parents very often have no idea what the kids are up to, and they don't see their kids very often. I mean, it's I only actually started thinking about it recently about how much. It's like basically any time I was around my parents, they they couldn't stand the sight of me. But I only it only dawned on me recently that that was probably about twelve minutes a day, <laughs> you know. So um, yeah, their father. Um, and two brothers.
1: At 21 years old, Addie gets out. She emigrates to America. For a while, it's odd jobs, sex work, tattooing, whatever she can get her hands on. Art offers her solace. Escape, comfort, whatever you want to call it. It always has. So does Self harm. She dabbles in makeup and drag, flirts with the idea of what if. She looks in the mirror and for once she can relate to the person she sees in front of her. She tiptoes in and out of the closet for a number of years. She marries. She has kids. Two boys. Back in the closet again. She feels she owes it to her children. Marriage fails, custody battle ensues as depression sets in. Being transgender is used against her in court. Custody of her children is a victory hard fought, but it takes its toll on her.
0: There's times I would sit in our tattoo shop and get out a piece of paper and and, uh, put my gun in my mouth and and, uh, think of reasons I shouldn't shoot myself.
1: It's been a few weeks since my first interview with Addie, and I'm back again. Tonight, Lee is here, and it's my first time speaking to her. Although you've heard her before.
2: Further than what they decide, you're going to go. Um, so, one of the things about sex work that's really amazing, and is also a thing that turns the patriarchy upside down, is that here you are, a woman, you have your own business. And you can dictate how much money you make. You can dictate what you're going to do, who you're going to see, and what way you're going to do it. You, you get to navigate all the terms in which you're going to do anything. And you, you're well paid for it. And this is a place where, as a woman, you can dominate. You make all of the decisions. And if a man wants to be part of it, a man wants to see you, wants to be part of your world. Pay me, bitch.
1: Leah also comes from a pretty conservative family. She used to have an office job, but she hated it, and made the transition to becoming a dominatrix after a brief stint at a ship club. She's brazen, and I kind of love
2: it. Powerful um, place to be. I know for some people, sex work isn't isn't the same for every single person, but I don't I don't like that sex work is kind of seen as. Everyone that's in sex work is a victim. And I... <laughs> <laughs> Don't
0: worry, we can do
1: it all again.
2: You're so funny. You have to sit here quietly.
1: How do the, your clients... I know everybody's different, but how would your clients differ in Ireland compared to the States? Oh... <laughs>
2: Oh, God. There is a need for BDSM. And, okay, I would also say, because I I came from Texas, so for a lot of Texas men, BDSM and and kink is a little newish. So for them, they're still kind of trying out a lot of things. Now, here, there is a big need for kink and BDSM, and there's people, especially with the way Irish guys are raised, kink and BDSM is definitely needed here. But to get some sometimes to get these guys to follow the rules, to not talk to me like I'm lower than them is like pulling teeth.
1: And did you meet how true sex work?
2: No. Um I used to love I love looking at personal ads because they're just so much fun. Like it's so much fun to see what is the thing that they're going to put in there to make themselves like stand out and it's just it's just funny anyway I just had a habit of reading with personals not for i not I wasn't looking or anything and this is like craigslist days like this is before the craigslist killer and all that stuff it was like it was still totally safe to be on craigslist Mm. um anyway so uh, I was looking at personals and just like laughing at them or whatever and uh there was this ad and it was like um it was a really dirty ad (laughs) But it was really well-written and really cute. They were looking for uh, a dominant female, Um, that was probably face-sitting, femdom, probably sissification, things like that. It was just like kind of naughty BDSM stuff, just kind of like talking about a bunch of BDSM stuff. And so then I uh, was going on another day and uh, I actually came across the same ad except all the dirty bits were gone. It was still really well written, but all the dirty bits were gone. And I thought that was even more funny because it's like... <laughs> so I just basically, it was the only ad I'd ever written to. And I wrote, hey, your ad's really funny, but your dirty one's better, but it, you know, it's really funny. And then um, I got a response. And it was just like a sweet response. And we kind of talked back and forth. And then Addie asked me to like, to, you know, if we, if we wanted to, you know, do something together. And I was like, not going to go on a date with somebody that I met on Craigslist. <laughs> so we went on a coffee date. So we went to Starbucks and it was so cute because Addie was literally just like, dripping in sweat everywhere. S- sweat. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was Florida, so it's already hot, but like literally like she was so nervous. And so we chatted and we really hit it off. It was really a great date. Well, not it wasn't really a date. It was a coffee get together. Um, so then we <laughs> decided to go on our first date. We went with the kids to um, Universal and Addie's driving. And then there was a car in front of us and the car in front of us stopped Quickly, So Addy stopped quickly, but not fast enough because the roads were a little bit slick.
1: Don't worry, nobody was hurt. But Addy somehow, like, ended up on top of a wall or something. And so they end up waiting for the police to arrive, and Addy gets out and tries to defuse the situation with the woman in the car they crashed into.
2: And so, like, literally by the time the police had finally come to do the report, I thought this lady was going to steal Addie. Like she was like in love with Addie. <laughs> like, and she was just like, this one's a keeper. Like, it was like, it was really hilarious. We finally got a tow truck to come and take the car off of the wall. And so we just spent the rest of the day having fun at the amusement park. Like it was a really great day. So yeah, Addie, um, parked her car on the wall on our first date. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Tell me a bit about what kind of sex work you do. Um since more
0: recently and consistently it's been uh, I've worked as a uh, as a dominatrix. Uh, I uh make porn, I do phone sex and work as a dom. I'm personally not the most dominant, obviously. But I don't think that matters to some guy who's just wants a very tall trans woman in drag usually to put them over their knee and spank their bottom but you see people who I I think if you haven't had the nurturing as a child but instead you were beaten and abused you find a level of comfort in that so for some people they don't feel they have value you can really kind of see it you get people come in and they're not always in a great way. I mean, a lot of people we would see coming in would also be closet uh, trans people, like older closet trans people mostly, who have lived in their closet, in the closet their entire lives because it's just, it's despite what we hear, it's still not acceptable. It's still a very, very transphobic place. But they're so much happier when they leave. And they would just want to kind of come and not necessarily do a whole bunch, just sometimes just have one hour, one hour where they just get to relax a bit and feel like they're themselves before they have to put on a mask and go back out into the world. And the thing is, the thing that they want to be is absolutely harmless. It's, they just want to be feminine. They want to wear something soft and silky. And there is something good about that. You've you've scratched an itch that uh, I don't think they can get scratched anywhere
1: else. How does it make you feel when you've had a really good session with a client?
0: Um, It makes me feel good. It makes me feel like, I mean, I've definitely done jobs where I felt this was a giant waste of time and it was just a giant time suck, but this felt good. I mean, sometimes when I'm making a tattoo, it's the same thing too. If I'm working on a memorial tattoo, um, sometimes you feel like you're part of the healing process and that's a good thing. Um, I think I feel I feel that way too.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much everybody. Sorry to keep you waiting, complicated business. Complicated. Thank you very much.
1: So, you know what happens next. The Berry family were living this amazing, queer, kinky, progressive, and sex positive existence in Austin, Texas, and then their bubble burst when Donald Trump became president. So, they decide to come to Ireland and start again unbeknownst to them that the law around sex work was about to dramatically change in Ireland. Before we go any further, let me explain briefly what the law actually is. So prior to March of 2017, sex work was legal within narrow parameters. You had to work alone. You had to work indoors. You could not solicit. And you could not share your earnings with anyone. Not even family. So then, the Swedish model is introduced. It's still legal to sell sex, but the purchase of sex is criminalised. The argument is that by ending demand, you end sex work. It comes from a standpoint where all sex work is seen as violence against women and therefore should be stamped out. It's not for me to tell you what to think about it, but I will say it's been widely criticised for its ideological motivations, and even its efficacy. People like Adi and Leah will tell you that criminalising the purchase of sex pushes sex work further underground and pushes sex workers away from services like health and the Gardaí. What we do know is that Sweden has had this law since 1999 and it still has a thriving sex industry. And for the first year that the law was introduced in Ireland, there was a reported 92% increase on violent crime against sex workers.
0: Oftentimes, when the guardi are out, I see two guardi for every one sex worker on the street. They'll complain about lack of resources, but then they're doing this, and they're basically telling, no, they're literally telling uh, sex workers to go home, that they'd be wasting their time out tonight. But, you know, they can't because they still have bills to pay. What they're doing is forcing sex workers into more dangerous places and more unfamiliar locations and reducing their time to judge whether a car is safe before getting in, reducing the amount of time to negotiate condom usage. And because the amount of clients are reduced, they're having to stay out there working longer. I mean, Ireland's right now looking at the biggest HIV epidemic in its history. Meanwhile, the guardi are using possession of condoms to, to prosecute sex workers for uh, engagement in sex work. So you've got migrant sex workers who are telling us they're afraid to carry condoms now in case it leads to their deportation. The law, instead of scaring off the clients, it scared off the better clients. And we're left with the emboldened clients who are demanding unprotected
1: sex. To this day, one person has been convicted for paying for sex under the Swedish model. And there were at least 18 people charged with brothel-keeping in the last eight years. In June of last year, two young women, one of whom was pregnant, were jailed for working under those brothel-keeping laws.
2: If you genuinely believe that there are people in sex work being trafficked, then the people that are the most able to help you, the most able to help you find these people, are other sex workers. So you've set up a situation with these laws that if I'm a sex worker and I know that there is another sex worker who is trafficked or is being kept as a sex slave or whatever, I know that it is actually, the way the laws are set up now, it is actually safer for that person that is being trafficked for me not to tell anyone. Because what happens is if I go to the police and say, that woman over there is being trafficked, it is possible that that trafficked person could be put in jail because they are an illegal immigrant or they are in a brothel. And it, is, it happens all of the time. The truth is, is, first of all, sex workers can be allies to help you find real trafficked people. At the say, so but if you set up laws that make any part of sex work criminalized, you've now set up a situation where it's easier for people to be trafficked because the people that are the allies, the people that could know, the people that could help will not report. And the people that are suffering, things are happening to them, could possibly go to jail. Now what have you done? Like you just made some laws that did the exact opposite of what you were trying to do, which was save people.
1: And so what happened with you after the run-in with the Gardee?
2: So then the next day... um, Um, I also had to stop by the dungeon before I met this guy to bring him all my papers. And when I got there, the police officer that was in my dungeon that had been taking all the pictures without my permission was in front of my dungeon.
0: We'd installed cameras, a lot of cameras, so we could just stay safe ourselves. And he told us we needed a license for all those cameras. We're like, we don't. I mean, why would cops want you to have less cameras up? The fire department are going to come and saw your doors off, and all your stuff will be thrown out in the streets. And I'm like, why though? I reported you to revenue. Like, we just actually literally left revenue. We're square with revenue. Anything we asked him was the nature of the business,
2: the nature of this business. Um, just in general, just being really confrontational towards me, which I thought was a little odd because it was about to go meet his partner and give him all my work information there's like you know so then after that I go to the police department to meet up with this investigator and he's like well I've talked to my captain and there's really nothing happening you know you've shown me that you're, you can legally work here blah blah and I was like well that's really funny because your partner was just at my dungeon threatening me and he was like I don't have a partner who was at my dungeon then who was that guy that was with you the guy that was with you was at my dungeon threatening me
0: Users are like, oh, um, they're actually. I mean, you actually aren't doing anything wrong. So there's no investigation into you guys. Actually, don't really know why he's there.
1: This kind of thing kept happening. Whenever she checked the cameras, there was always something going on. Either the guard was hanging around outside, or the guard was chatting to the neighbor. Sometimes the neighbor was checking out the cameras, or the guard was checking out the cameras, and it all seemed pretty suspicious.
2: It wasn't so long later that someone came down to my unit and I w- looked at my camera and it was, a, um, it was somebody putting silicone in the locks of my door. And then I called the, po- the police and as soon as they found out I'm a dominatrix, they weren't interested in helping me anymore at all. They like literally just dropped it right there.
0: And that's kind of how it goes. And talking to their
1: sex workers here that's kind of universally what i'm what i'm hearing eventually this all came to a head leah had another disturbance in the middle of a session but this time it was the landlord he was there to evict them after receiving pressure and intimidation from the gardee about the nature of the business on his property Addie has found herself, since coming back to Ireland, in a catch-22 situation, where the law prohibits her and Leah from working safely, but she struggles to find a normal job because people don't hire her when they find out she's trans. Both transgender rights and sex worker rights intersect, and Addie advocates on both fronts, having joined the board of Intersex Ireland and the Sex Workers Alliance Ireland. Addie's also gone back to college to obtain a degree in psychology. She says it's partly to make herself more employable and partly to figure herself out.
0: I, I mean, I definitely, I've definitely got some trauma that's worked into my romantic stuff, but, the, but sex work is it's exactly that
1: work. It, 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 it's, it's a different, it's very different. I mean. I think coming back to Ireland has made her revisit some dark memories and their impact on her. Well, at the time I was really, really young. and.
0: Uh, My mother worked nights. Um, I was in my bedroom. It didn't really go on beyond kissing me and fondling me. But I still froze up. I don't know, there's something about it that kind of sets you up for later on in life because the experiences that I had when I was younger, um, I found, despite what I told myself in my head, when when I dealt with similar experiences later on in life, I did the same thing as I did when I was a child and I froze, I just froze up and you can tell yourself in your head this is what's going to happen next time but even though I worked on and off in sex work throughout my life. Under those particular circumstances, I continued to freeze, and it's just, it's a, it's a repeating, um, it's kind of a repeating theme in my life.
1: There's an ink for home that lives in all of us. I wonder what or where that is for Addy. As the pandemic continues, work is disappearing for everyone, and people like Addy and Leah are being hit the hardest. And the semi-criminalised nature of sex work means that many sex workers will be unable to access the safeguards provided to the rest of us. In future episodes, we'll explore Addy's sinuous venture as a trans woman in America, as well as her struggles with healthcare in Ireland. You've been listening to A Terrible Beauty. The programme was produced and presented by me, Luke Toomey, and is a School of Media production for TU Dublin.